Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Ephesians 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 16. This is going to sound familiar to you um, because we went through these passages back in May. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You may be seated. Over the past two months or so, month and a half, two months, we've been studying the um, Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus, and we have... Last week concluded the first half of the book. Again, the, the or letter, it's basically broke up in two sections. The first part is his teaching them the importance doctrinally, if you would, um, theologically, who God is and what he has done for us. The second half of the letter then is practical. How does this apply to us? And that's where we, we step in to it today. And so what he's getting ready to say is all based upon what he has just told us. And just as a real brief, quick review, this is what he's told us. The privileges that we have in Christ Jesus, because God is our Father. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. We are chosen. We are adopted as sons of God. We are accepted. We are redeemed and pardoned. We are informed about the mystery of his will. We are given promise of his inheritance. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We who once were spiritually dead and following after the course of the world and Satan were made alive in Christ. 
And we were raised with Christ and made to sit with Christ in heaven. And we who were once afar off, we Gentiles, who once were afar off from the promises of God, have been made joint heirs with those of Israel through Christ. And so we saw that Christ, through Christ, in Christ, because of Christ, there is one church. The Jews and the Gentiles have been blended together. We come based upon him. So, if all these things are true, so what? It's one of the things I try to always remember. Years ago, I don't remember his last name. He was president of Moody Bible Institute, Joe something. something. Anybody remember? Smith. Yeah, it wasn't Smith. That's too common. That's very good. Stole, stole, Joe stole. And he had a um, run, running the race. Um, and, and I remember him years ago that he stated that the first thing he does when, he, when he's preparing his message, he writes at the bottom, so what? So what? You're going to give him a bunch of information. But in the end, what? So what? This is the so what? So what? So all this is true. All these are facts. These are facts. This isn't just theory. This isn't just Paul putting out what he thinks hopefully could be the case. But these are facts. This is who you are in Christ. It's who we are in Christ. So how does it play out? Paul in his last half then is going to be dealing with us and how these truths play out. And he starts off then in verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I, therefore, based upon everything else I just stated, beseech you to walk worthy. To walk worthy. David, what's the Greek word there for worthy? Axios. Gail, you said it right off fat too. Yeah. David had a company called Axios. You found the name? Cole Beans. Yeah. What does it mean, David? Or Gail, since you found it? Worthy. It means worthy. Huh, that seems kind of strange. I mean, you're going to give us a Greek word and it doesn't really mean something different. Anyways, it means to be worthy. Paul wants us, based upon all this, do you get all this? If you haven't been overwhelmed yet by that, you need to be overwhelmed by that. In light of all that, that we ought to walk worthy. The first thing he's going to talk about is how we do that in the body. That's where he just ended, talking about the church. And so we went through this in May, took two Sundays to go over this, so I'm not going to speak on this in detail today. This is basically going to be a review Sunday, okay? We're just sliding through. If you want more details, you go back to those messages in May when we're going through the Healthy Church series. But the first step is acknowledging the goal of the church. Note that the goal of the church isn't to grow. Now, it's important to grow. But the goal of the church is not to be a thousand. People always want to know what's your vision, what's your goal. I want to just be more like Jesus. But God's word's clear. What our, our goal ought to be, and that is to be unified because again back 
when we went through this, we talked about the fact that in our unity, we reveal God. John chapter 17. You can go back and look at it. So unity, first of all, is nurtured by our conduct. That's what we see here. And again, I'm not going to go through them in detail, but it's, it's going to be revealed in our conduct, okay? Nurtured by our conduct, walking with humility, with all lowliness, not just some, but all lowliness and gentleness, walking with patience, that's kind of rough. And again, we talk about long-suffering means what? Suffering long. It doesn't sound pleasant. We're always looking for a utopia. That I can go someplace and I don't have to, to deal with people. You know, the missionary who said, God, I'd be a great missionary if it wasn't for all these pagans. The pastor says, I'd be a great shepherd if it wasn't for all these sheep. We're always looking for a what? perfection on earth it's not going to happen you got a bunch of sinners getting together now we're saved by grace and we're being conformed to the image of christ but the reality is that romans chapter 7 is true and i believe it is then we're battling every single one of us are battling the the they have the law of the flesh and the law of the spirit and we get together and we're battling this so therefore there are times when it requires us to be suffering long long suffering um bearing with one another how in love in love. That's going to be the theme that comes through here. In love, in love, in love, in love, in love, in love, in love. You know it when somebody's just putting up with you, but they don't love you. But when you love, you're willing to put up with one another because you care. Not because you have to. Walking with, then, commitment. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, and the bond of peace. Endeavoring. Working. Working hard. Working with a passion. Working intentionally. You're endeavoring to do something. When you have a vision, when you have a goal, when you have something that you're trying to move toward, you will work. You will endeavor. If it's nurtured by our conduct, in each one of these phases, I want to stop and pause if I remember. How are we doing? Back to the marks of the healthy church. We talked about this a few months ago. Have we been applying it? Have we been working on it? Are we seeking to be more unified? I'm not saying we're not. I'm not saying we are. It's just something for me to ponder, for you to ponder, for us to ponder as a whole. How are we doing in this light? Secondly, it's reflected then in our doctrine. First of all, we understand that we are one unit. We are one unit. We are one body. The Jews and the Gentiles are not separated. We are one. The Baptists and the Presbyterians are one unit. The Methodists and the Lutherans are one unit. Now, no, Lee, I'm leaving Bible churches out. Anyways, so <laughs> it's the guy who, who the, and so I used to be an independent Baptist pastor, so I've got those Baptist jokes, right? But anyways, the Baptist who dies or the Bible church guy who dies and he goes to heaven and Peter's giving him a, a tour and, and leads him down this hall and he goes to the, 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 the first door and he opens it up and the, and the people are just like this. And they, those are the, the, the Pentecostals. They're just 
getting it on, you know. And then it goes to the next one, and there's all these people kneeling and dowing, and those are the, the Episcopalians. And it goes down further and showing each one. He gets down to the last one. He says, you know, you've got to be quiet. We're getting to the Baptists. They think they're the only ones here. Anyway. So, yeah. But we could turn around and pick on any one of the groups that way, can't we? There is one unit, guys. One unit. Now, I'm not teaching ecumenicalism, and you know that. Okay? We, we need to have a pure doctrine. We'll get to that. But the reality is, that even in the light of all that, we're one unit. We spend a lot of time fighting ourselves rather than fighting our enemy. One body, one what? One spirit. That's exactly right. Good job, Glenn. Four-year-old. He got it. One spirit. One spirit. Now, this leads us to the thought process that we've been warned that there are other what? Spirits that are out there. And so not everybody who names the name of Jesus is being led by the one spirit. This is where you start caveating what I just said earlier, right? But I've got to be careful that I don't become the what? The judge. I'm a discerner. We're told to discern the what? The spirits. Okay? And Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. Okay? So, so there's those things out there. One, there's one body, one spirit, one what? One hope. Jose, what's the hope? Eternal life with Jesus. Life with Jesus. We all share that one hope. Whether you like it or not, those people of a different stripe, if they know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're going to be with you for all of eternity. That boggles your brain, doesn't it? How can it be? Because God is a loving God. And he, he is, he, and he judges based upon the heart, not based upon the what? Outward appearance. Isn't it amazing how those little lessons we teach the, the, the little kids about David, they come true? There's one body, one spirit, one hope. We're one unit, but we have one creed. One creed because we have one Lord, Jesus Christ, one faith, that he is the one true God, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. That's why I wanted to sing We Believe. And it's in a nutshell. It's what we believe. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe in the resurrection. We believe that Jesus is coming again. Those are what was called the fundamentals of the faith back in the early 1900s. I've got a book, books actually written on those. We're believers have always struggled with this. So what is it? The core of the faith. Well, that's it. You believe in the triune God. And you believe that then this second part of the triune God came to the earth. And he paid the penalty of our sins. And he was ascended and he's coming back again. Now everything else we're going to debate. When does he come back? How is he going to come back? And all those kind of stuff. Okay. So within the realm of the church. Now understand I'm pretty adamant on what I think about some of those things. But I recognize that somewhere along the line Bob's probably wrong. How could it be? Well, I don't want to be wrong. 
But probably somewhere along the line, I'm going to be wrong. Because I'm a human. And I don't want to have the audacity, the arrogance to stand before God and think that I'm right and God's wrong. (laughs) Does that make sense? So, anyways, but we have one creed. That's why we have a constitution. That's why we have the doctrinal statement. Where we come together and we say, so this then is what this local body unites in. This is what we unite in. Because there's a lot of false teaching that's gone on. Okay? And so we define. This is where we're at. We have one Lord, one faith, one what? One baptism. Good job. Okay? And the baptizo means immersion. So again, I'm not going deep on it. Again, but it's one. One, one, one. It's not many. There's one. We have one God. This goes back, I think, the beginning with this Lord, one Lord, and going to one God who is above all and through all and in you all. It goes back to Shema. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. We only have one God. There's one Yahweh. And so, as we saw last week when we talked about Matthew uh, 28, that we're supposed to go out and make disciples, baptizing them in the name singular of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That name is Yahweh. Yahweh Sabaoth. Just in this morning from reading Second Samuel, I wanted to potentially read it again, but that would be a distraction. But in Second Samuel, in the covenant that God makes with David, with David, that David comes back in his prayer, and he's just praising God for the name. For the name and, and wanting the, the name to be praised and the glory of your name. It's all about the name. We have one God. Yahweh. Who has manifested himself, manifested himself on this earth and given then the name Jesus. The glory and the greatness that goes with it. That at the name of Jesus, Yahweh, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Yahweh, to the praise of all. But God, we're told, is above all. He's through all. That can kind of sound um, pantheistic. Be careful of that, okay? But that's where like pantheism and stuff like that, when you, if you ever studied out all these different religions, it's really kind of cold because they get the concept that God is what? In everything. He is. I mean, he is that which holds all things together by him that they consist. But they then put God in, literally, everything and make God everything. Okay? And he's in, then, specifically, y'all. In you all. God is dwelling in you. And so there's another one of these little things from my quiet time this morning. It hit me this morning. It was so cool. God, Yahweh, comes back to David and he says, hey, or through Nathan to him, he says, but have I ever asked for anybody to make me a house? I have been content to tent on this earth the entire time. But after you die, now he's not talking about Solomon, because David was still alive when Solomon became king. After you die and you're in the grave and you're with those I'm going to raise up for you one of your seed. And he will make a temple for my name. Do you realize that we live in these tents? And now, where does God dwell? He's tenting. He's tenting. 
He's tabernacling in us. He came and tabernacled in Jesus. John 1, verse 14. That's what it says. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory. And now we have the privilege of being that tabernacling presence of God. How cool is that? This building isn't it. People always want to talk about the church. and that's. I, I try to continually... The church facility, the church facility, the church facility. We want to talk about the church facility. Because this isn't the church. We are the church. And he is going wherever you go. Because you're taking him with you. How cool is that? But it's accomplished then. This goal of unity is accomplished. When we seeking to be unified, work together. The synergy of the church. Literally, literally, synergy means to work with one another, to work together. And so we then are supposed to play a part. Now, how does this play out? We're told three steps in this. First of all, it's Christ's body. It's God's church. So it is he who does the endowing, or the one who does the um, the gifting of the assembly. And he, we're told specifically here that he gives gifts to each one of us according to his grace. And I harped on this back in May because this is huge. Each one of you in this local assembly, if God has been bringing you to this assembly, he's bringing you to this assembly. Are you tracking with me? And he's bringing you to this assembly for a reason. Because he has gifted you in some manner that he wants you to bless this body of believers. He wants us to bless you as well, the rest of us to bless you. But it's his body. And he wants his body to function in in the manner in which he wants his body to function. So the gifts that he's given to you, I ask you. Are you using them, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, for the good of all? And then as we're going to see, to help with the edifying of ourselves in love. We'll come back to this part in a second. I'm not done harping on it, okay? So we're going to come back to that, that thought process in a moment. He gives gifts to each one of us, but he then gives specific gifts to specific churches, okay? And so the, and to some he gave, and you have to ask yourself, into who is the some he gave? It potentially could be individuals, the some he gave apostles, but that doesn't make sense because he's not talking about the some he gave in an apostolic gift. He's, he's now using a noun. And so I think he's talking to churches. And to some churches he gave apostles, and some churches he gave prophets, and some churches he gave evangelists, and some churches he gave pastors, teachers. But as it hit me this week, again, aha moments, you're always learning, right? As I did this, and I put this out vertically for myself, I saw it differently. Then I've seen it when I've put it horizontally. And I began to look at this from the perspective of the eras, if you would, of the church. In the beginning, and I'm not, this is Bob's conjecture. This, no, no here, and I'm not saying that I would necessarily be dead on in this spot. But this is, I find it very interesting. So I just want to share it real quick. And that is the very beginning of the church. Who were there? The apostles. What were they? Witnesses. 
Jesus said that, they, that he was, had them so they would be the witnesses of his resurrection. They were eyewitnesses of it, and that's how they became apostles. But after the apostles, and while they were on the earth, God began to raise up who? Prophets. Who began to, to proclaim and to teach and to, to uh, declare words. So we know Agabus, we know Ananias. We had particular prophets who then were raised up to give specific truth. Paul, I think, not only was an apostle, but I think he was a prophet, okay? From the perspective that he was given new insight. He was able to take the, the word of God, the revelation of God, and to bring it together. And so he says very clearly, and we just saw this two weeks ago, how God gave him the what? The mystery, which had been hidden before. And so I think he was sort of in a prophet. So he's an apostle, but I think he's sort of in that prophet realm as well. But then you begin to have then evangelists. Who were the evangelists? They're missionaries. They're missionaries. They were the ones being sent out with the what? With the gospel, the good news. Okay? So they're going out around the world, and they are spreading the good news to the outermost part of the world. Well, then, as the message is being spread to the outermost part of the world, what does God raise up? Pastors, teachers. To do what? To teach his people. To teach his people. Do you see it? Anyways, now, the question is, and there's a debate, and I'm not going to go there right now, with the secessionists, and I'm a secessionist, um, but I'm not to the, to the outer point of it, but does that mean that these previous ones then go away? Chink, 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 chink. So you can think about that one. But I thought it was pretty cool, the progression of these gifts. I never saw them before. I just always saw them as just all at the same time. But I think that God did this sequentially. And so that's why we see more pastor-teachers today. Because that's the whole point. We're like the, the scribes and the Levites, if you would, in the days of Israel that were being sent out to give an understanding of the word to the people. Okay? So the Lord endows the church. He's the one who gives the gifts to us. So what we have here, we can blame God for. I don't mean it that way. We can praise God for. Okay? But that's kind of the, the concept. Okay? The leaders then, as he gives those leaders, okay, it's their job to equip the saints to equip the church into ministry endeavors, the work of the ministry. Again, I mentioned before, and I'll highlight it again, it doesn't say that he gives the leaders for the work of the ministry. That's what it says in the English, but in the Greek, it's the word ace, it's into. Okay, That God has given the leaders in order for them to equip, to outfit. The word literally is to outfit the church. It's our job, David, Steve, Chuck, and I, as elders of the assembly, it's our job to outfit the assembly. So come tonight, care group. We're going to be working on evangelistic techniques again, and we're going to be answering some questions that we got from someone, um, you know, that, things that people might come back with you on, and we're going to be talking about those things. But this is all in the light of equipping you to evangelize, to share the good news, okay? So if you haven't been coming... You know, you can't say, well, I didn't have a chance. You had a chance, okay? We've been working the last couple of times on a one-verse method, okay? We even did a, a Sunday morning time on it, okay? So this is what we want to do. We want to outfit the church. So that's the goal here. And so like if you were at Sunday school, we even took time in Sunday school to go through Second um, Peter, talking about how you can see from Second Peter, A, that Jesus is God, okay? Only from that one little book, okay? 
B, the veracity of the entire scripture. You either take it all or you leave it all, all from Second Peter. Okay? And so using inductive Bible study, so looking at the observations, um, observations, interpretations, and applications. That's all from there. That's what we want to do. We want to equip. We want to train. We want to teach. Okay? Ultimately, straight up, we talked about this last meeting too, we want to replace ourselves. That's the goal. We want to replace ourselves. Okay? So our job is to teach so that the body then the leaders equip the church into ministry endeavors, into mutual edification. What's the goal? Again, unity. Mutual edification. We're going to come back to this again in a moment when we talk about the role of the church. Okay? Then into mature doctrine. Okay? That we will be no longer children. That we're no longer tossed about doctrinally. We're no longer deceived. And we do that by speaking the truth. Again, how? In love. It may seem unloving when you're speaking the truth sometimes to someone. But you can do it in love and still stand firm on the truth. There is only one God. That's not a hateful thing to say. That's a loving thing to say. Because if someone's following a false God, where are they going to go for all of eternity? To hell. And is it loving to send somebody to eternity? for hell, just so they can feel good about themselves for a few moments while on the earth? I don't think so. And so if you love people like God loved people, he sent his own ambassador himself into the world to reconcile the world to himself. And so we seek to edify one another, we'll talk about this in a second, into mature doctrine, mature training, understanding, in order that we don't toss about any further. That's why churches go all over the place. Because they're not going deep. They're not learning how to study. And so everything's just surface. And so they just follow the next wave of influential teachers. Speak the truth. That leads us to the final part, and that is the members edify the church. The process requires, then, everyone. Look what it says there at the end it says but verse i'm going to begin in verse 15 but speaking the truth and love may grow up in all things into him who is the head christ from whom the whole body the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love It's the whole body, every joint, every part. I don't care if you say to you, but I'm not the... That's what we talked about from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If the whole body were the eye, where would the hearing be? Everybody has a part. God's gifted you. God's given you burdens. God's given you desires. For your own little realm. And I could just start picking out people, and I don't want to do that. But God's given you gifts. You may think, oh, well, that's not spiritual. It didn't necessarily say it's spiritual, but it can be applied spiritually. Is playing the guitar, and I'll pick on people, well, I'll pick on playing the piano, since some of mine do that. Playing the piano in and of itself is not spiritual. Think about that. But it applies what? Spiritually. And so when God gives you a gift, he gives you a gift to bless who? 
the body in himself. Do you track? So, so you can use the gift and become a concert pianist. Nothing wrong with being a concert pianist. But you can use the gift to only become a concert pianist. To bring glory to who? Yourself. Do you track where I'm going? Okay. When God gives gifts, he gives gifts, we're told in his word, to edify the saints. To give God glory. God's given you desires, abilities, gifts, talents, propensities. For the good of the assembly and for the glory of God. Every part, every joint has to do it. And if every part of the body does what God has designed it to do, then the result's going to be the growth of the body. Again, in love. Now, what does the growth look like? Again, I go back to the original part, and that is that we look like, so it's, Paul says right here, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What's the mark of unity? What's the goal and how are we going to play it out? We want to look more and more like Jesus. Can you picture any division in the Godhead? Can you... I'm going to, I'm going to cause you to struggle for a moment. There is one place in the Bible where there was potentially a little struggle in the Godhead. Not on the cross. You're, you're in the garden. Yeah, in the garden. Not a major struggle, but that's it. That's the, I mean, if I'm going to pick one, that's it, right? Jesus, God the Son, God incarnate on the earth, speaking to the Father. That's mind-boggling. And says, Father, if there's any possible way for this what? The cup to pass through me. He came for this very reason. He knew what was going on. He knew where he was going. But now he's at the moment in the weight, not just of the fact he's going to die on a cross. I mean, I know for us that's massive, okay? But for Jesus, I don't think it matters. He's looking at the fact that he who knew no sin is going to become sin, and he is going to be separated from the Father for one eternal second moment. I don't get it, but it's amazing. And at that very moment, he's like, oh, I don't know if I'm willing to go through this. Father, is there any other way? Can we come up with Help me at this moment. No, I know there's not. Your will be done. Boom. It's done. You want to know what unity looks like in the midst of adversity? That's what it looks like. I'm struggling. I'm having pain. I'm having anguish. I'm bearing with one another in love, you know. But not my will, but yours be done. So in the end, are you walking worthy of the calling with which you were called? Are we walking worthy of the calling with which we have been called? How would you describe your role within this local assembly, within the local church? What has God gifted you to do? What are you doing in this local assembly? Now, I know, I don't, that's not mean to put pressure on you. And that's not mean to make you feel bad. I really don't mean it that way. But I do want you to think about it, because I think this is, again, speaking the truth in love. This is an important truth. If God has equipped us to work in the assembly, then what are we doing with the gift in the assembly? What is your goal 
for this assembly then? Are you willing to be a vibrant asset in the edification of one another in this assembly and the greater church? So again, we talked about that back then, but there are other parachurch organizations that you might actually be very involved with. So I'll pick on Chuck. He's not here. I can pick on him, right? Um, but, but, but Chuck teaches BSF, Bible Study Fellowship. been doing it for years. I don't expect him to stop teaching Bible Study Fellowship because now he's an elder of this assembly. That's stupid. He's an elder of this assembly because he's revealed what God's doing in him by teaching Bible Study Fellowship. Are, do you track? Adish, she's not here too, so I can pick on her too. She's ministering down at the care pregnancy centers. Well, that's not here in this local assembly. She's just wasting time. That's silly. Because, again, we're not the end all. The church of Christ is bigger than Family Bible Church. Okay? So when I talk about that, okay, I understand, and we understand, that there's something bigger than the local assembly. But sometimes we kind of hide behind those things, too. Okay? Are you willing to be a vibrant asset to this assembly? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you have brought about this um, concept of the body of Christ, the church of the living God. You, Father, are the one who made of two, one. You've told us that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither um, male nor female, but that we are one in you. You've broken down the middle wall of separation so that we can all have access to you by one spirit through the blood of Christ. And I'm so grateful to you for that. Lord, help us to live like we really believe it. Help us to want to magnify you in this assembly, to give you the glory for what you are doing in our lives daily, weekly, yearly. Lord, that we would want to see your word put forth into our neighborhoods, that we would see others come to know you. Help us to be submissive to what you are doing and wanting to join you in your work. In Christ's name, amen.